Thank you, Philip, for that uh, wonderful music once again. I'm always blessed when I come. You know, I'm sure that whenever we have a time of worship, our concern is that all that we would do would be an honor and a glory to the Lord. I know of at least one moment I am positive was an honor and a glory to the Lord. I don't know if you noticed during the time of the offering, but uh, one of the children coming down was skipping and waving and having such a wonderful time. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. That was what was happening. That's the way it ought to always be. Amen? I'll tell you. Thank you so much for the opportunity of being here. I really need to thank your pastor for it. He is obviously dear to me on several different fronts. He's dear to me because he is my son-in-law and I couldn't be more proud of him. He's dear to me because of the fact that he is now my pastor. What a change of events has taken place over the years as once I was his pastor and now he is mine and I am delighted to be a part of the, this church. He is currently down along the border helping a team down there to become acclimated to all of the ministries that are happening down there. And uh, how grateful I am for the way that he is leading this church to even deeper involvement in touching the last, the lost, the least. He has such a heart for that. I, I really, in all honesty, don't know anyone who has a more tender heart for people than what your pastor does. And how blessed you are to have someone leading you like that. Amen? I'll tell you what, it is a joy to be able to watch and see what God is doing. Well, I am grateful for this opportunity to be with you today, and I trust that when we're done today, that one thing more than anything else will have happened. I've been praying and asking that the Lord would help me to help you. And if that happens, if when you leave here today you say, that was helpful, then I'll be happy. Because that's really my desire. I want to be used of the Lord to encourage you, to help you, and I trust that the word that he's given me today is going to be able to accomplish that in your life. It was in the year 1978, the late part of January, that my wife and I, along with our two-year-old daughter, were spending some time in Ohio. And on the 27th of that month of January, a historic blizzard hit the state of Ohio and the surrounding area. It was unprecedented in the impact that it had. It was, as it were, a perfect storm coming together to cause cataclysmic kinds of consequences. The temperature had been in the mild uh, range during the first part of that day, but then as this front moved in, the temperature dropped like a rock, and soon it was hovering near zero degrees. The wind picked up, and soon it was howling at at times 100 miles an hour. Add to that, snow began falling at a rate that was piling up faster than what could even be calculated, and eventually two feet of snow would blanket that entire state. Everything, everything in the state came to a standstill, and people were struggling to try and cope with all the consequences of that storm. One of the problems was that it ended up being devastating in many different ways, but the loss of life uh, was tragic. There were 51 people who died in that storm, many of whom died because of the fact that they got stranded in the snow. And in being stranded, they would get out of their car trying to find their way to get help, 
and in the blinding snow they would become disoriented and because the temperature was at zero degrees but the wind chill factor was 60 degrees below zero it would only take a matter of a few moments and they would soon be frozen to death frozen just sometimes a few feet away from their car or just a few feet away from help but they were so disoriented they had no idea where they were storms can do that and I uh, am, am told of a man whose, whose name was Parker Palmer who wrote a book called Hidden Wholeness in which he talks about how in the Midwest part of the United States where blizzards are quite common that there farmers found a way to keep themselves safe and what they would do is they would take a rope and tie it around the post of their porch and they would stretch that rope from the porch out to the barn where they would need to go to take care of their livestock and that way during a blizzard as they would make their way from the house to the barn and then from the barn back to the house they could hold on to the rope and the rope would keep them from becoming disoriented in the blinding snow now I want to take that particular picture and liken it to what I believe we're experiencing right now in many of our lives there are a series of circumstances that have come together to create as it were a blizzard that we're having to endure and it can become very disorienting it's a blizzard that in, it includes uh, the winds of a pandemic which have swept literally across the entire world and it still is howling in its consequences but not only the winds of a pandemic, but also the debilitating cold of division and hatred, which we see at every level of culture right now. And then the ever piling up snow of, of financial problems. And, and it bodes not a good thing when we see that inflation is beginning to go up and gas now is topping $3 and, uh, a gallon. And, and we wonder where are we headed in this regard and and all of these things coming together can sort of become disorienting to our lives and we try to find our way well my desire this morning is that we can stretch a rope as it were from this place which we can feel a certain measure of safety out to that world that we're going to be going into as soon as we're done this morning and that that rope can be a way that we can find our way back to home that we can hold on to the rope now the rope that I'm talking about is the word of God the word of God is that safe place that we can hold on to and make sure that we don't get lost in the midst of all the circumstances of life now toward that end I want us to be able to look at a passage in scripture which I believe is going to be helpful to us and I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles if you will open them to Philippians the first chapter and we're going to look at verses 12 to 14 of this first chapter and if I were going to hang a title over today's message I would call it good news about the good news good news about the good news would you stand with me and let's read together from God's word right now Philippians the first chapter verses 12 to 14 Paul here writing in what most consider is his most autobiographical book 
one where we learn more about Paul personally than any other of his writings. He writes this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would take this word, enlighten it to our hearts, guide us into the truth, that we might be better equipped to know you and serve you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would, please. It is in this passage that the Apostle Paul gives us an example of how it is that we can navigate times in our lives when we're caught in circumstances, many of which we have no control over. That certainly is the case culturally. What's happening in regard to the pandemic, we have no control over. What's happening in terms of a lot of the divisiveness, we have to guard our own hearts, but we have no control over that. There are circumstances we find ourselves caught in that we need to be able to respond to appropriately. That was the case with the Apostle Paul. He was caught in a circumstance, as it were. He's in prison, and he is concerned that those who know him may not be processing what is happening in his life appropriately. And so he writes to them, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's interesting here. It's as though Paul is, is considering and he's saying, you know, there are people who, who are feeling like that this is wasted time, that somehow uh, God has made a mistake. Here's the Apostle Paul, the, the greatest preacher of the gospel in that day and time. And here he is, holed away in a prison, not able to go and start churches and preach it broad in, in the way that he normally would be able to do. And so he's saying, I want you to know, I want you to know that these circumstances that I find myself in are really serving to advance the gospel. The word that he uses here for advance is an interesting word. In the Greek language, it's a compound word, which literally means to cut through. He says, I want you to know that my circumstances are cutting through so that the gospel can go forth. Picture, if you will, a dense jungle where the overgrowth has, has made the way impossible to move anywhere. And it's as though Paul is saying that the circumstances I'm in have become a machete, a way of cutting through so that a clear path for the gospel can be made. I've seen dense jungles like that in times when I've traveled in India, going to uh, the parts that I go, they're very tropical, and plants grow at an incredible rate of speed. And I remember going out and having meetings in the midst of some jungle areas where to go to where we needed to go was only a little path cleared through that dense jungle 
Someone had gone through and cut the way open for us so that we could go to minister the gospel. Paul here is saying, I want you to know that circumstances have cut the way open so that the gospel can go forth. And it's a wonderful word of encouragement as he's dealing with that. It, he, he has some good news about the good news. You see, when he talks about this gospel that's going forth, obviously it is first a gospel of information. We know that because the scripture assures us that it is a gospel of information. Over in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 1 to 4, the apostle Paul writing says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul says, the gospel I preached, the gospel I declared, the gospel I heralded, as it were, the good news of the kingdom of God that I made known to you had to be declared. It is more than simply that we are living lives of witness to the world where they, they watch our lives and they conclude, oh, that person is such a nice person, I think I'll become a Christ follower. No one ever became a Christ follower without the news, without the good news of who Jesus Christ is. It is a response that we make to the gospel. It is a response that we make to the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that his son took on our humanity, that ultimately he lived a holy, sinless life and qualified himself in that to be able to become our sin bearer and take those sins to the cross and there die for us. And having died, be buried, and after three days in the tomb, be raised from the dead, never to die again. And our hope rests in that reality, those facts which are the ground for our faith. The information of the gospel, it has to be there always. But there's more to it than just the information of the gospel. There also is the fact that it is a gospel of transformation. Listen to what Paul writes over in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel, which came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. At its heart, you see, the good news is about change. It is a gospel of transformation. Yes, it is a gospel of information, good news of information, but it's a gospel of transformation. Paul here is writing to people who had been pagans, and now they are transformed into believers and followers of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul himself had been a Pharisaic persecutor of the church, and yet God met him in Christ on that road to Damascus and he was changed 
And Paul said, now I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He identified himself in different ways, but his life had been radically forever changed. There are many other stories like that in the Bible of life change, but it's not just found in the pages of Scripture. There was a young man who was a gang leader in New York City in the 1960s. His name was Nicky Cruz. He was the leader of one of the worst gangs in that city at that time. There was a preacher who came one day and proclaimed the gospel message. And Nicky Cruz heard that message and came to faith in Jesus Christ. The preacher's name was David Wilkerson. There was a book that, uh, that was written about that encounter with Nicky. A movie was eventually made called The Cross and the Switchblade. And today, literally, Nicky Cruz has spoken to thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. His life was radically changed from being a gang leader to a Christ follower. It's a gospel of transformation. It was a gospel that came to a young soldier stationed in San Antonio, Texas, lost, lonely, not knowing what to do with his life. But hearing that gospel, it changed me. It changed me from someone who had no sense of what life was really all about to having a sense of direction and it wasn't long after that that I went to seminary and began to prepare myself to be able to someday stand in a place like this and declare a gospel not only of information but a gospel of transformation. And that's good news about the good news. But I want you to also know that this gospel that we're talking about, this gospel that, that moves ahead even in the midst of of circumstances that can be very adverse. In fact, if, if there were going to be a thought that I want you to capture and keep, it would be this thought. Every circumstance of our lives can advance the gospel. That's sort of the sermon in a sentence, if, if you would. Every circumstance of our lives can be used to advance the gospel now this gospel that we're talking about has two spheres as it were where the transformational power of the gospel can be known one is in a, a public influence a public influence uh, Paul here is talking about the public influence of the gospel when he writes and he says you know those who are the praetorian guard here their lives are being changed because of my being here. You see, as Paul viewed this, I don't think that he could have ever figured out how can I influence the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard of Caesar, how can I get an opportunity to, to talk to them about this Jesus that they need to know? But it came about through his circumstances. And Paul said, you know, I see the advancement of the gospel because of this. He's given me, a, as it were, captive audience because he was chained between some guards there. How would you like to be chained between the Apostle Paul for, for 24 hours a day? 
or even, even if you weren't there for the whole day, just part of the day, I've got a feeling you would get an earful from Paul about the gospel. But he says not only have those circumstances allowed me to have an influence with the imperial guard, also other believers are finding themselves bolstered up as they see how God is using me in their circumstances. It's causing them to be bolder. And they have more confidence to speak the word of God. And he's saying, you know, the, this, this gospel that I'm proclaiming is having a, a public influence beyond myself. It's, it's causing other lives to be impacted. And that's a good thing. It's, you know, sometimes we don't realize how potent our lives can be in impact for others. I guess we've, we've had that heightened in our understanding a little bit, haven't we, during COVID. Because we realize how contagious an individual can be. I mean, you just get around a person who has that issue going on in their lives and you're at risk. Unless you've taken all the necessary precautions, you're susceptible to the influence of that person in your life. Well, the gospel is like that in our lives. As we're full of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as we interact with people, there's a certain contagion about our lives. We can influence them in a way that otherwise we wouldn't be able to. But not only, as I consider this, and, and Paul thinking about how the gospel was being advanced in the lives of others, not only is there a, a as it were, a public influence, but I, I believe that there's also a personal influence that Paul was experiencing. You see, his circumstances were part of the things that were shaping him into the person that God purposed him to be. You get some sense of this as you read through the book of Philippians, how Paul sort of, as it were, journals his own sense of self in relationship to Jesus Christ. In this first chapter, he talks about, yes, I'm in prison, and I don't know exactly what the outcome is. We're hopeful and prayerful that I'm going to get out. If I do, that's wonderful because there's fruitful service in that. If I don't, then I'm going to heaven, and that really is better. But he says, I'm learning by my circumstances. It really doesn't make any difference whether I'm in prison or not in prison. He says, my only desire is that whether living or dead, I would always exalt Jesus Christ in my body. And then in the second chapter, he talks about how Jesus Christ becomes an example of selfless service, of someone who willingly obeys the Father wherever the Father might tell him to go. He talks about Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient even unto death on a cross. And God calls us to similar service in Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that his circumstances were helping to shape that within him. And then you go on to the third chapter, and Paul talks about how his circumstances were continuing to shape him. And in that regard, he was learning that, that nothing else really mattered except knowing Jesus Christ. He said, I've given up everything. Everything that I thought mattered 
is as nothing to me for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says, I have just this huge desire that God has birthed within me to know him, to know the, the fellowship of his suffering, to be made conformable to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, those are the things I want. And he says, listen, I've not arrived there. I'm a work in progress. Not that I've already achieved these things, he says, but the circumstances of my life are helping to shape me and mold me into that which God has purposed. And then in the fourth chapter, he goes on to talk about how times of plenty and times of need have shaped him so that he has learned how, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned how to abound or be abased. I've learned how to have plenty or nothing. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he says, I've learned that. How do you think he learned it? Through the times of his circumstances. You see, the gospel was advancing not only around him, but the gospel was advancing in him. And so, I want to have for these next few moments what I would call a coffee cup conversation with you. If I had an opportunity, what I'd like to do is sit down at a table across from you, just one-on-one, -on -one, you and me. And I'd have my cup of coffee there, and you could have your cup of coffee, or if you prefer... Uh, your favorite beverage, a Coke or a Dr. Pepper. And though for the life of me, I don't know why anyone would be wanting to drink Dr. Pepper. But regardless, you know, you, you choose whatever you want to drink. I'll choose my cup of coffee. And we'll have this conversation. And my conversation with you would involve really two questions that I would love to be able to ask you. And the first question is, is the gospel advancing through your life? Is the gospel advancing through your life? In other words, as you are interacting with the world around you, caught in circumstances just like you are, what's the influence of your life upon them? Paul said, the influence of my life upon those that I'm coming in contact with is they're hearing the gospel and they're being made bold and their lives are being helped by my involvement with them. Is that the case with your life in involvement with the people you'll be in contact with this coming week? The people that you work with? The people you go to school with? Your neighbors? Your family? Are they being influenced by your interaction with them? Is the gospel advancing in their lives? Some of those people you're interacting with, in all probability, don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Is your interaction with them opening the way of opportunity for you to be able to share the words of the gospel as part of your witness of the gospel? Is the gospel advancing 
through your life. But then I would ask you a second question as we continue our conversation at that table. I might get a second cup of coffee, sit down, and just ask you individually, is the gospel advancing in your life? Is it advancing in your life? Do you see the evidences of life change happening as the gospel is active within you? Because that's the real proof that you are indeed a Christ follower. It has little to do with a claim that you walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or even got baptized. The real issue is, has that gospel changed you? Has it changed you? If it hasn't changed you, then there's every reason to suspect that perhaps you've never really come to know Jesus Christ. It was our old uh, Southern Baptist missionary, Bertha Smith, who used to say, it is impossible for Almighty God to live within you and you not know it. That is the truth of the gospel. The gospel changes you. And if you look at your life and you say, I don't see any evidences of the gospel changing you, then I've got good news for you today about that gospel. You can begin today. Today you can respond to that message, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and allow God to begin to make that difference within you. That life change can start today by a simple surrender of yourself to him. But I suppose, as would be probably appropriate and normal, on a Sunday like this, as I look around this room, most of you would say, I am a Christ follower. Do you see the evidences of the transforming power of that gospel within your life? And rather than just brush that off without consideration, I would ask you to consider the areas of your life that God would be interested in changing within us. You see, he would be interested in changing the way we think. That's why the, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're having our conversation, and, and my question would be, have you seen God changing your mind, the way you think? Paul gives us some categories to think about in Philippians there in the fourth chapter, he says you can think about this and this and this and this. And how you think about those things makes a difference. These are the good things to think about. And you can apply them at a lot of different levels. But is God at work in your life changing the way you think? You see, it's, it's pretty easy to go out into a world that thinks wrongly, and if we're not careful, be caught up in thinking the way they think. 
And yet the Bible assures us there's a way that seems right to a man, and yet the end of that is destruction. We've got to have a change of mind. And that change of mind comes through the power of the gospel at work within us. But then there's a second area that I would want to think about with you, and that is, is it changing your attitude? Because, you see, attitude is really important. How you process life and how you respond to it. Paul knew that. This book of Philippians that we're using as our centerpiece this morning sometimes is referred to as the book of joy because Paul repeatedly in this book talks about joy. Over in the fourth chapter he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. You see, there ought to be joy within our lives, but if we're walking around singing, Oh, woe is me, and um, I, I just, you know, life is terrible, and life is bad, and ain't it awful, then we're not really seeing much change from the way that we hear the world talking. You can pick up a newspaper and read the whole thing from cover to cover, and most of it is going to be, ain't it awful? And it's going to put you in a mood, if you read it very carefully, it'll put you in a bad mood. If you let it influence you, you've got to have a change of attitude where you begin to say, it makes no difference. Whether bad things are happening or good things are happening because I have victory through Jesus Christ. You see, when God deals with us in our lives to change us, there's only two areas that we're going to be tested in. Just two. One is abundance and the other is need. Paul writes about that in that fourth chapter. He says, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be abased. And those were the only two tests that he was facing. Those are the only two tests you'll face either. And you say, well, what's the test of abounding? Sometimes that's harder than the other kind of tests. If you doubt that, read in the Old Testament how Israel, without exception, always got into trouble when blessings started coming in their way because they began to, in their blessing, forget God. They began in their blessings to become prideful. They began in the blessing to begin to think, I can do this on my own. I don't need him. It says in the Bible, a man is tested by the praise that is accorded to him. And if people are saying, oh, you're so good, you're such a great Christian, and all that kind of thing, and if you start believing all of the applause and start reading your own press releases, it can get you in trouble. And we've got to walk with a sense of humility of attitude where we remain teachable. But not only... Um, the test of plenty, but the test of need. Some really are experiencing real need. It may be a physical need that you're dealing with. It may be uh, emotional need, psychological need, family need. I mean, the list of needs that exist in our lives could be uh, long indeed, but the truth is that God is using those needs to test, to test us and to transform us and to teach us that, yes, you can live in victory even in the times of difficulty. Listen to what James wrote. Consider it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So do you see that the gospel is transforming your attitudes? Is the gospel transforming 
your words, the way you speak. It's so easy to get caught up in conversations where people are talking all the negatives, and if we're not careful, we'll just pile on with them. Oh, yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Oh, I don't know what's going to become of us. And we, we get caught up in conversations which don't show that we've really got a tongue that's had any dealings with the Lord. Because if we've had dealings with the Lord, if he's transforming us, how we speak is going to be different. Paul cautions, he says, Let make, make sure that your words are gracious and that they build up. And then there's just a fourth thing real quick, and that is your, what you do. What you do. Is your, God, is your life giving evidence of the transforming power of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel in your life? God wants that for you and for me. And it's really good news about the good news, this wonderful, wonderful good news of the kingdom of God, which can transform those around us, but can also transform us as well. This change that God wants to do in us, we go, well, I, I want that to be happening. But let me explain something real quick to you. It's not an assignment that God gave you and said, get it done. I think sometimes that's the way we think it, but it's not that at all. The other day, I was at home, and our grandson, Jace, was there for a few hours, and he had an assignment, a homework assignment that he had from school. They had written a little short story, and he had to change some of the verbiage in it. And, and he came to me, and he said, Grandpa, will you help me do my homework Now, I want to tell you, those are some of the sweetest words that any grandpa could ever hear. Sometimes my children, when they were young, would ask that, and I would say yes, but maybe not quite so cheerfully. <laughs> but can we talk? I mean, we're just being honest this morning. I mean, when grandkids come and say, could you help me? Man, I'm all in. I'll help in whatever way I can. God's given us an assignment, and that is, I want you to change. But he's saying, if you'll just come and ask me, I will help you do that. You don't have to do this assignment on your own. I will help you make those changes. In fact, to be honest with you, you can't do it on your own. You need to let me help you. But when you do, oh, the good stuff that happens. So where does God find you this morning? Our little conversation over the table is at an end now. But just before... I go, I would want to ask you, so what do you want to do? 
about this conversation we've had. Maybe you, in the midst of the conversation, have come to realize, I don't have that kind of relationship that you've been talking about with Jesus. I don't have the evidence of life change happening within me. And I need that. That can happen in your life. All you've got to do is surrender. All you've got to do is be able to say, I need that life change. Surrendering your heart and life to him. The Bible assures us if you'll do that, God will begin that good work in you. And he'll perfect it until the day of Christ. If you say, well, I've already begun that, then maybe your desire this morning would be to be able to say, you know, I want to make sure that as I live out my life this next week, that I don't get lost in the blizzard of circumstances, but I'm going to be holding on to a word which says God will use my circumstances to advance the gospel through me and in me. And I want to ask him to do that. Maybe you'd be encouraged by someone praying with you and for you about that, and if so, in a moment when we stand to sing, I'm going to invite you to come to share that. If you need to come and surrender to Christ, come share that. Let us pray with you. If you've already done that but need someone to pray with you or encourage you, they'll do that as well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the unusual freedom in this place. Lord, you know it was my heart's desire that people would be helped. And yet, Lord, I'm grateful that ultimately I'm not the one to help them, but that you are the helper. In fact, you sent the helper to do what only you can do. And Father, if there are decisions in this moment and responses that need to be made, I'm going to ask that you would bring them about in a way that would bring you glory and bring you honor. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.